I love deadlines. I love the whooshing noise they make as they go by. Douglas Adams. She's kind of crazy. He's a little insane. Hearing Kenny G makes a mess with his brain. One is divorced. The other's husband is dead. That's why they're so both messed up in the head. And it's a silver linings playing cast. Oh, yeah. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Silver Linings Playcast. As far as I know, it is the only podcast solely devoted to talking about Silver Linings Playbook, the movie, and the Silver Linings Playbook, the book. I am your host, Jamie Ward. You might have noticed, you might have noticed that we didn't have the official pre-recorded theme song this week. No, we didn't. I had to sing it. I had to wing it and sing it. Because I'm here right now at, in Beaumont, Texas, at, uh, what, Red's? Red's Ice House, Red's Roadhouse, anyway. Yep, I am sitting in the parking lot. I am so far away from the studios, as far away as I have ever been when I was recording. Uh, usually, even when I've recorded in a car, I have had access. But anyway, let's. I wanted to do something a little different today. We had a, a letter sent in from a listener that had some information to share with the podcast. And because this is the first time anybody has ever corresponded with the podcast in this very formal way... Uh, I wanted to read it because I think it, it's great. I'm very excited, and I hope there's more. If you want to reach out to us at the podcast, we are on all social media at SilverLiningsPlaycast.com, uh, at SilverLiningsPlaycast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook page, SilverLiningsPlaycast, and also I'm your host, Jamie Ward, if you didn't already know. Okay, so let's get to a letter. This letter, this email, this electronic letter was sent in by me to us. All right. This is, hello, Jamie. Love the podcast. This is my first time writing as I have been busy making every episode of the podcast that exists. A few thoughts I had. I love the concept and I mostly like the execution, but I feel like there is room for you to talk more about Silver Linings Playbook, the movie, and the book, The Silver Linings Playbook by Matthew Quick. Also, why do you constantly refer to yourself as we when most of the episodes are recorded with you alone? Keep it up. Definitely going to be listening. Long time uh, listener. Uh, we'll see you down the road. Sincerely, Jamie Ward. So I wrote that letter to myself, and full disclosure, I actually just started making up the end after after the part that was also, why do you constantly refer to yourself as we when most of your episodes are recorded with yourself alone? Um... Yeah, I didn't know what else I was... I I forgot to even finish the letter, so I just... I talked through the rest of it. So I did that. But I think I bring up some good points there. I I think I also would have liked to address how I always say... The interesting thing about... I I want to make a conscious effort to try to reduce the amount I'm saying that. I definitely... I like the point at the beginning. Love the podcast is my first time writing. That's... Totally true. I definitely love the podcast, uh, but I only love it as myself. I don't think anybody else should love it. And the reason that this was my first time writing to myself was I was busy making all the other episodes of the podcast. So it's, it's understandable. My priority is making the podcast not corresponding with myself as the podcast. Let's go to the second paragraph. A few thoughts. Uh-huh. Love the concept. Mostly like the execution. I think that is a fair fair analysis of this podcast i feel like there is more room for you to talk more about silver linings playbook slp and tslp that is fair 
Your criticism is noted and mark that down in your calendars. Today, April 10th, I believe it's the 10th, 2022. It is noted that we have not talked enough about Silver Linings Playbook, the movie, and the Silver Linings Playbook, the book, and we're definitely going to make an effort to do that on the podcast. After all, that is what this is about. But if we don't, also, what does it matter? I love the quote at the beginning that I chose to open it from. I'm not saying that I love myself for choosing the quote or I love the quote, how it applies. I'm just saying it is It is actually a great quote. Douglas Adams is a fantastic, was, you know, uh, R.I.P., uh, fantastic sci-fi comedy writer he was friends with neil gaiman i actually i don't think i remember hearing an interview recently where neil was saying that he had didn't know douglas that long that he had met douglas maybe a year or so before uh, mr adams passed away and or maybe more than that i don't know we can look up the the specifics of that it's not important but the point is um they were friends and you all know that i am a huge huge neil gaiman fan i love this quote by douglas adams i love deadlines i love the whooshing noise they make as they go by and i don't think there is anything clearer than we love deadlines and we love not meeting them hence the poor audio quality that is why i'm sitting in the parking lot at red's ice house in beaumont texas and i love it this is this feels like uh, a bar from the movie roadhouse except it's weird because it's let's see what time is it it is 7 37 central time not the airplane time but i am watching cars pull in i was here really early at about four i arrived and I am not I am not here to perform myself. I am here to watch Katie perform with the band 337, her band. Um, not her band she owns, but the band she is in. And she's a part of And they're amazing. They're a fantastic band. You can check them out, uh, 337theband.com. But here's uh, the interesting thing about this. Part of the reason that I missed my deadline this time was uh, I took her to, a, to an acoustic gig on Thursday in Alexandria, Louisiana. And I actually was asked to do a little comedy in the break in the middle of their, their acoustic sets. And I went up, and I had to keep the family friendly, but we did it, and it was it was a lot of fun. I don't I don't want to brag and be like I killed it. It wasn't to be killed or to bomb. I did it. I had fun, and the audience had fun. And therein lies the key to what I do and the way I do it. It was fun. We had fun. There was no standard of like, oh, I have to like win. It wasn't a contest. I got up. I told some jokes. Uh, it went about as well as I could possibly want a situation to go like that, which is a total victory. And, I, and I'm saying that that is not a defeatist thing. I think a lot of people say it went about as well as I could hope for it to. And that's a sort of defeatist statement by a lot of people. Let me show a little confidence in myself for a moment. I expected it to go rather well. It was more than meeting the standard. I wanted to have people enjoy themselves. There was a decent crowd there. There was a good crowd. There was probably 20, 20, 30 people around. 
I'm not saying everybody stopped what they were doing to watch me, listen to me, and laugh, but I'm saying a good deal of them did. People that I wasn't expecting. It, the hard thing about doing, and I always call it a guerrilla comedy, where you just sort of bambush uh, uh, unsuspecting dinner patrons that they're going to get comedy. You know, I mean, some had come out, and, and people had definitely come out to see the musicians. Um, Katie was playing in a trio, uh, but she's the vocalist, and, and two of her bandmates from 337 were, were on guitars. But, you know, we were listening, and every... All right, now, I know this is distracted. This is... Uh very unconventional this is so weird right okay so i'm actually uh i took a break it is now 8 23 and the band has started so you might hear them in the background but i wanted to get to discussing some of the stuff that is of interest to me and not not like interest of me let me say okay we have some stuff that we were going to talk about um okay so we got the letter that uh, a listener sent in, a listener slash the me sent in. Um, now I wanted to discuss, well, because I wanted to bring it back to Silver Linings Playbook. Right? I wanted to talk about it. So we are going to discuss, not discuss, I'm going to go over a, a 2013 interview from Entertainment Weekly. It took place on February 6th by uh column by writer aaron strecker this is a question and answers with matthew quick the author of the silver linings playbook this is very enlightening because i was very curious about you know um the process of writing writing a movie that gets adapted to uh writing writing a book that gets adapted into a movie i'm you know didn't know how involved matt was in this so this is not any original information this can all be looked up originally you know in the entertainment weekly column from february 6 2013 but we want to discuss it but i am going to go over what some of the questions and answers were so we can talk about it the first thing is a little background uh, the article says that matt was an unemployed living in his in-laws basement when he wrote silver linings playbook so he had sold his house he quit a tenured teaching position and he had no idea what he was going to do which is basically what i'm hoping to do with my book um I don't know what to do. Uh, so yeah, I'm working on two, I'm working on my second book now and I've got some meetings scheduled for the end of beginning of May. I think the fourth and fifth, the Atlanta's writers conference. That's exciting. All I've got to do is, uh, finish the second book before then, because I technically don't have it done yet, but I've got the meeting to try to sell it. So uh, that's okay. I did the first one. I was really responsible with the first one. The first one I had written, I wrote, and have uh, done multiple versions of edits. It needs to get edited again, but I'm starting to query agents on that one. Anyway, let's go to Matthew Quick. Okay, the question was how involved he was in adapting the screenplay. And the answer he gave was that he was not at all. That he actually, he signed a movie deal before he had a book deal. And then that is when David O. Russell got involved. And Matt was super happy with uh, David O. Russell's adaptation. He was, he knew that David O. Russell was nervous. He really felt like David O. Russell um, honored his story that he told when people ask about the differences between Silver Link's Playbook, the movie, and the Silver Link's Playbook, the book. 
Matt seems happy with it. He definitely is a person that felt like, oh, um, this, uh, this was something that they're two different products. He says that in the interview, he, he discusses how he feels that a movie is different from a book, but that it tells a story. David O. Russell told the movie story of Silver Linings Playbook. Matt told the um, book story, The Silver Linings Playbook. And I think that's really cool. I think that's a really important thing, too. Uh, to, I think that is the key to, to how they made a great movie. Was It's, it's a probably always great to have the support of an author... You know, who's no, you? You definitely want uh, want the person who wrote the story to be happy with your version of the story, too, right? But you also definitely want somebody who's competent. So we all all know that this was not David O. Russell's first movie. Sorry, I'm back. Okay, uh, something weird happened. Well, no, not weird. Like my Uber Eats driver arrived. I don't know if that's weird. I feel really bad about it because I'm sitting in the parking lot of Red's. Red's is actually a, a restaurant. It's like a roadhouse bar, but it, you know, lots of older couples are here having dinner. Uh, they serve a bunch of stuff. So I ordered a Whopper and I had it Uber-eated <coughs> to me here. So I might, sorry for the noise. I might be make, eating a fry here and there. But let's get back to what we were talking about. So there's this interview with Matthew Quick, and he was saying he was, uh, let's see, he sort of didn't know what he was doing in life. And so he wrote the Silver Linings Playbook. And at the time of the interview, Matthew was living in Boston, but he was from the Philadelphia area. Bradley Cooper's from the Philadelphia area. The story is clearly set in the Philadelphia, New Jersey area. The Eagles play a major role in it. Matthew Quick talks about that. How this was. This is. I'm. Oh, I'm not gonna. I was about to use my phrase. We're working on it. We're consciously working on no longer saying the same, same catchphrases. I love the background that Matthew Quick gives us, where he talks about he came from a lower income establishment, and that it was really important for him that Bradley Cooper didn't just bring the character study of who Pat was to the character of Pat Solitano from his Pat Peoples, but that he was actually from the Philadelphia area. So he understood some of the cultural differences. And it might sound silly to say that like the love of the Eagles is the cultural difference, but it, it is one of them loving the eagles is an example and a quick antidote about that highlighting that is matt says that okay so when he was raised uh you know back in the 80s and in in the social climate that he was growing up in the father figures weren't weren't real you know uh lovey feely not that's that's the wrong word but you know sort of um weren't the kind of people that were outwardly soft and emotional and expressive and stuff so that one of the best ways he knew you know a son could feel connected and communicate with their father 
was by going to Eagles games, watching Eagles games, being into the Eagles. And I just love how that is so pervasive in Silver Linings Playbook, but they never have to say it either, which I think is a great writing technique. I don't even want to call it the technique. It's just the mark of a good writer. That they found something that could really be a metaphor for this relationship that Pat was having with his father, Pat was having with his brother, uh, Pat's father had with his brother, you know, all these things, right? And you can see this dynamic, this family dynamic, and the different storylines going on just because of how they're related to their love of the Eagles. You have... It's, it's sort of... The Eagles is sort of like Pat's dad's third son in the book. Favorite son. Pat feels like the third least favorite son in the Eagles. Until they realize it's not a competition. And that his father has room for them all. He can talk to the Eagles the easiest. And that's the kind of thing that I think Bradley really captures in his performance. And his uh, emotional performance of Pat. What did the Eagles mean to Matthew Quick, the author? They mean everything to him. And I'm not reading into this more than is there. Matt says that he's a lifelong fan. He was living in Boston at the time of this interview. And he used to drive 10 hours uh, to go attend all the Eagles home games in Philadelphia. When Matt was asked about his favorite scene from the movie, he says it is when Bradley Cooper is running and Julia Stiles, who played Veronica, is staring out the window and John Ortiz, who plays Ronnie, meets Pat. Not meets him for the first time, but meets him for the first time in the film. One of his best friends, Ronnie. And that's when they see that there's a baby and you see the dynamic of the uncomfortable sur- suburban life. I think that's a really cool scene because that establishes in the film um so that is sort of like the barometer for what a relationship is going to be sort of maybe not what it's supposed to not what it's supposed to be but sort of what the societal expectation of a relationship is right ronnie and veronica have the on paper textbook suburban white picket fence car and three like car and job and three kids but what are the what is the expression anyway you know they represent everything that people think they want and in their character introductions we are shown a glimpse into the fact that there may be trouble in paradise you can tell and I don't, I don't think we're saying that they don't love each other, but there's definitely an element of like, oh, there's, there's, there's more going on here. They're, it's not all perfect. And then you have these characters that are going to be super flawed later that are introduced at the dinner. You know, you have Pat and Tiffany 
and these are these broken characters and i i love that scene that is such a great introduction of all the characters that because you have like these two super broken people and yet you, you sort of know that they're going to fall so much in love and you have these characters that are supposed to be already in love and yet it is so tense and uncomfortable like who connects more at that dinner right i feel like as, as weird as stuff happens pat and tiffany they connect they do i don't know if pat gets it and this is part of where my question when i ask people to watch it as a couple and then interview like what did they think you know when did they think that pat fell in love with tiffany when did they think that tiffany fell in love with pat and a lot of that has to do with that first scene i don't think tiffany falls in love with pat there but she feels a connection she says it when they leave remember he walks her home and when she asks if he wants to have sex with her uh you know pat is like what 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 do you mean and she goes there's chemistry here you felt it i felt it the audience felt it she doesn't say the audience felt it but you know she is speaking for us we all felt it and i think it's very valid they did they connected on several things they were both sort of making jokes they were bonding over the medications they have more in common and that's sort of this beautiful meeting it's the meatest of the cutest because it's it's not a traditional cute meeting right it's not the situation where people are like oh they ran into each other they ran into each other in the most typical way possible through friends friends introduced mutual acquaintances but actually if you look at the statistics that's one of the most successful indicators of what a relationship of relationships that last or success people meeting through people um now i don't know i'd have to really look into this whether that was deliberate whether they were trying to set them up um i think my feeling and i would love feedback whether you feel this if they were set up sort of as a, on a friend date i think i think pat had just come home tiffany was widowed but alone and kind of becoming a, a hermit and these friends uh tiffany's sister and pat's friends said hey maybe these people you know are very caught up in their own personal lives maybe they would like to you know um just have a friend somebody in a similar situation somebody that's going through some stuff somebody that you know and so that is really very interesting all of it i love the fact that he loves his city and he writes about it look at all the directors writers directors filmmakers actors who have represented other cities so much i mean i don't think so philadelphia is not an un, unrepresented city you have it's always sunny in philadelphia right but it is definitely definitely one of those sort of like limited uh limited amounts of time that people have not limited amounts of time um 
it's it's more limited in the scope of of places that use it as a setting. I see whatever uh, does you got you got Rocky, right? That's the Philadelphia uh, Library. Um, you have uh, there's some some of those like Revolutionary War the colonies, the countries and stuff, you have them talk about things going on in those times, um, in those places. But, you know, where are all the movies set? New York and Los Angeles. Maybe they have scenes that take place in Miami. Maybe a little San Francisco, maybe a little San Diego. You have some Atlanta now. You have a show called Atlanta. But this is not... Philadelphia is... Now, I'm wrong. I might be wrong, too. Tell me if I'm missing some of these Philadelphia stuffs, right? Like, is... Is there, um... You know, just a whole bunch of, uh... Of movies or TV shows that are set in Philadelphia that I don't know about... Because I don't know about them. Or maybe I just can't think of them at the moment. Oh, I forgot. I forgot the the main one. Silver Linings Playbook. The movie. Um, okay. So, wait. Also, is... Uh, what's it called? I was thinking... The Karate Kid, but no. That's something different. Anyway... I love that he has the Eagles, his sports team. It is a metaphor. And then we were talk, talking about how sports in general, you have, you have the, the gender dynamics going on. And I think that's a really wonderful part of the film, how Tiffany ends up becoming not a sports aficionado because she's not actually into them. Well, I mean, it's debatable. What, do you think she was actually into them? But no, she was clearly studying these things because what was important to Pat was important to her. And so now think about that. Tiffany finds it important to know everything she can about sports because sports is important to Pat. So sports represents the relationship between Pat and his dad, Tiffany finds it important to understand everything she can about the relationship between Pat and his dad. Why? Because it's not perfect and she wants to help him be a complete person, right? She understands sports and he, d- he doesn't even understand the relationship between him. Here, here's the disconnect in Pat's relationship with his dad. They both love the Eagles, right? But Pat likes the Eagles for the sports team. And his dad, he does like the sports, but he likes it for the gambling. He's a big sports gambler. So you really have them like loving this thing, but you have two different takes on it. And this is, this is sort of where the beauty of the disconnect in their relationship is because it's like how many times have you seen relationships between people where it's like it's just a communication breakdown y'all y'all are so close you both like you know you love like come on guys you like the same thing it's it's the eagles you're just coming at it from different angles 
and you probably have stuff you could share you probably have overlap you probably have ways you this could be a connecting thing but instead it's just a placeholder filler thing right so they have that relationship and pat then comes around to be like okay i you know i don't like the fact that my dad is gambling on sports and stuff but i am going to connect it intertwine it with my personal fate with with my future and so he you know and he's not the one that calls it tiffany is actually the one that turns the the uh, ballroom dancing bet and the eagles game into one thing i think right because they're going to go double or nothing and then she she proposes that um and then adds the as the ballroom dancing element because she wants her fate to be intertwined with pat's how could she have a good relationship with a man if he can't have a good relationship with his old man and so she does that thereby intertwining the fates of both of their stories and it is a beautiful analogy right so then what happens is you have these two uh two sort of stories going on you have a sports story it's definitely a sports movie even though none of the characters are actually active participants in sports themselves here's why it's a sports movie it's the other way because sports is an active character in the story of their lives so let's go back to some more facts about matthew quick from his interview but now let's get to what's really important i think um i mean like i know you 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 think this is all important we made some great uh silver linux playbook analysis um it's about mental health it's a tale about mental health and when asked uh by the interviewer if matthew quick um how he felt about mental health playing a role in the story in the movie and he said he was very happy with the betrayal in the film that he had suffered a lot as a teen in high school from depression and that even as an adult when he became a teacher it was a hard thing to deal with and it's a hard thing because people don't ever talk about especially as being like a in his 30s as a man he felt like it was just a topic that was off the table to talk about and so you know while we are talking about the subject of mental health i think we should go over another uh suspect um from the black dahlia murder so again i want to preface this by saying we are not official detectives so don't take any of this as uh legal legally viable all suspects are presumed to be innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law also um if they are proven guilty then i guess they can be guilty but also our innocence is not uh indicating to them either and most importantly we don't know all we care about is the truth here at the silver linux playcast we do we would love to help solve the mystery because everybody deserves justice and people want conclusion so if we happen to eliminate all the suspects there's a lot of them you know 
through deduction, then that would be awesome. I'm sure nobody would mind if they're like, oh, this podcast is a great source of information on Silver Linings Playbook, the movie, and the Silver Linings Playbook, the book. Oh, and by the way, they also happen to solve uh, a, a cold case from 70 years ago. So let's discuss one Mr. Dr. George Hill Hodel Jr., now, it's very important that you understand I'm saying HODL, H-O-D, <coughs> HODL, not HODOR. I just finished watching Game of Thrones. Whoa, how did I make it this far not talking about the fact that I finally finished the Phenomenon show Game of Thrones, which I believe is a 2011, started in 2011 and went through 2000. 19. I could be wrong, but I know it's not super current, but it's definitely a show that was a worldwide phenomenon, right? And there's uh, definitely, definitely a lot I have to say about it. I finished the whole thing. People were telling me I shouldn't finish it. Some people were saying I should finish it. People were talking me through watching it. Just a a bunch of different things. Also, to discuss it because it is a TV show that was based on a book series. We don't have time to go into that today. We have to get back on topic to talk about Silver Linings Playbook, the movie, the Silver Linings Playbook, the book, and we want to talk about the evidence that may be for or against Mr. Dr. George Hodel being the Black Dahlia Killer. Again, that's um, the Black Dahlia killer. So he was a suspect from 1949. His full name is George Hill Hodel Jr. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Hodel or Hodel. I'm going to say Hodel, Hodel right now because, like I said, I I have Game of Thrones on the brain. So he was a physician that specialized in treating sexually transmitted diseases. And he actually became a suspect when, uh, in the 1950s, he was accused by his daughter of sexually assaulting her. And then there was a trial, a court case, um, which raised the suspicion that he may, in fact, be responsible for some completely other crimes. The LAPD started surveilling him in hopes to get evidence either confirming or denying that he was, in fact, a Black Dahlia murderer. This is an excerpted transcript that I'm going to read from a recording during the, uh, during the, the, monitoring the surveillance of Dr. George Hodel Jr. Supposing I did kill the Black Dahlia. They couldn't prove it now. They can't talk to my secretary anymore because she's dead. They thought there was something fishy. Anyway, now they may have figured it out. Killed her. Maybe I did kill my secretary. And that comes from a recording on 18 uh, February 1950 by, again, George Hodel, who at the podcast, we are not, we are not saying he is or is not a killer. Um, this recording... This, uh, you know, this sounds really bad. It, that's not a thing that uh, people necessarily just go around saying, but also it is something that people just go around saying. 
Now, here's the weird thing about it. I have two theories about this statement because I don't know the context of when he said it. And one of them is the fact that if he, if this was like recorded, the source that I had, which is the uh, Black Dahlia Wiki page for this, is just saying without context that this came from an excerpt of a recording of him. If he was saying this under duress, or to somebody that he trusted, I could totally see it as being like the kind of guy talk that would in in one way be, you know, alleviate the the suspectedness of him. Right? Because he is a person who, if you say something like this to your friends, like, yeah, yeah, you know, supposing it could be me. Maybe I did it. Maybe I did it. Right? Like, that's the kind of thing People make very bold statements. There's a lot of attitude in this statement. There's a lot of, I think, sarcasm. It's very hard to take it from a written statement. It might have a totally different context if I heard his voice saying that. Um, But also, if he was saying this in an interview, it could also be a very combative person that felt cornered because they were being interviewed and maybe they were about to get gotten. You know, supposing I did kill the Black Dahlia. They couldn't prove it now. Um, yeah, the context of, of when and how he said this is very, would have a huge influence on how I felt about it. Now let's talk about, there's, there's somebody else mentioned in this statement. He's not just talking about, supposing I did kill the Black Dahlia, they couldn't prove it now. They can't talk to my secretary anymore because she's dead. They thought there was something fishy. Anyway, now they may have figured it out. Killed her. Uh, this... This is several different sentences. I want to read three different sentences in that because the punctuation is sort of important, okay? It uh, goes, Anyway, now they may have figured it out. Period. Killed her. Period. Maybe I did kill my secretary. That... That is hard to read from uh, an analysis point because you... Because even just reading the sentence killed her without hearing the inflection in his voice, without hearing the emotion that could be read in, in many different ways. It's transcripted with a period making it a declarative sentence. So it, you know, is devoid of like the extreme emotion if it was an exclamatory sentence or, or a question mark if it was an interrogative sentence. Who and why is he talking about his secretary? So apparently his secretary was Ruth Spaulding. And it is suspected that she was murdered. And Hodel was a suspect in that murder in 1945. And the reason is Hodel was present during uh, with Spaulding while she had a drug overdose. And George was a sus- suspect because apparently he was burning some papers before the police arrived so they sort of wondered why that happened the case went against him but it was ultimately dropped and later there was evidence found that a secretary was going to release papers that accused total of misdiagnosing patients to make more money to charge them for labs treatment and so on which is kind of sketchy behavior I do want to point out, though, again, while we're not here to demonize anybody that doesn't deserve it, everybody is proven innocent, is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law, um, 
That does not necessarily mean even if George Hodel wasn't the Black Dahlia murderer, it is probably probably possible he wasn't a great person because there's these other things that he did that were kind of crimes too. But also, we can't confirm way one way or another. Now, even more interesting, Hodel's son was an LAPD homicide detective who believes his father was the Black Dahlia murderer. And in 2003, Stephen, Steve Hodel published a book uh, that said his father was the killer. Steve's sister, Tamara Hodel, had a friend named Janice Knowlton, who was the daughter of George Knowlton, who was a different suspect in the Black Dahlia murder. And Janice wrote a book called Daddy Was the Black Dahlia Killer. So apparently everybody wants to be connected to the Black Dahlia Killer. Except me. I don't. I just want to find them. In 2009, Steve wrote another book. Steve Hodel wrote another book claiming that his father, George Hodel, was also the Zodiac Killer. Now, I don't think he's been proven to be either of these so far. And sorry, 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 sorry. It looks like episode 94 is where I lose my streak. 94, but it was okay. We'll build back. We'll build back further. This is not the end of the podcast, everybody. This is the beginning of the next phase of the podcast. A podcast where the podcast is not based around whatever I'm going through. It's not based on can I upload it because I have nothing going on in my life or am I recording a five-minute episode because I'm sad? No. It's now a beautiful thing that I love to do and share, but I am unshackled by the chains of having to do something every week because I did it in the past, and it's something I get to do every week because I, I want to in the future. But I messed up! I messed I'm. No, I'm just kidding. I got to like 40 minutes. Guess what? I was having fun, y'all. And guess what? I'm, okay. I'm going to keep this family friendly. Until next time, uh, we'll see you down the road. And Excelsior! Steve's kind of crazy. He's a little insane. Here Kenny G really messes with his brain. One is divorced. The other's husband is dead. That's why it's so both messed up in the head. It's the Silver Linings Playcast. Oh yeah, good night everybody.